All right. Well, Chuck, go ahead and come up here. I'm going to start talking about you for a few minutes, and uh, but let you go ahead and come up as I do that. Highly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chuck, I met Chuck at a men's leadership conference, and I believe it was 2002. And um, 99. 99? Yeah, you were just out of high school. <laughs> no, I was two quite. years ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>? right. <laughs> and uh, I was a family life and youth pastor in Pennsylvania yeah. and overseeing the men's ministry and family ministries there. And his booth and representing a chosen generation, uh, at the time I got information about intergenerational ministry and rites of passage. And he just hooked me. And because these are things that I had already been dreaming about, praying about, uh, trying to figure out, and he was articulating things and going and, and, and just doing them, uh, things that I had seeds in my heart and my spirit. And so Chuck, in his book, uh, Men of Honor, Women of Virtue, is really the leading resource for rite of passage for local churches. And uh, it's, it's remained that now for a number of years, and he's known that around the country and the world as uh, the, the specialist expert in that field. And there, he was with some parents and Father's Love Leadership last night going, going over that. Um, and in that church there in Pennsylvania, we did a rite of passage a couple years later with his guidance. A couple years later, we did it without him. And I've talked to some elders there at the church just a few months ago. They have a cycle every few years of doing rites of passage in the young people as they're growing up through the church. And, and so it's still going after all these years. So, so it's a very fruitful um, uh, pioneering work. Chuck has had a lot of years' experience in men's ministry, uh, leadership training. So we're so glad to have him here today. Uh, he's, uh, after he retired, uh, out of, uh, a colonel out of the um, Army, he uh, went into leadership and promise keeper during a promise keeper boom in the 90s. And so he has a lot to give to us today. We want to pray for his wife, Billy. Her family lives in what part of Kentucky again? Somerset. Bowling Somerset, Green. yeah. Uh-huh. And um, in Bowling Green. And so they have kind of a family gathering every uh, early July. And that's why we've been able to snatch him when he's in the area. And But she is recovering from different COVID-19 uh, effects and, uh, and doing well, but was not really into the yet yeah. ready for travel. And so Chuck came without ability to Kentucky just to be with us. So we're, we're grateful for that. And, um, and so we want to pray for Billy as we pray for you this morning. Well, Father, we, uh, um, we join our prayers and we're agreed together for Billy for full recovery uh, from these uh, lingering effects, these other side effects, Lord God. We believe, Lord Jesus, she will be fully healed and recover uh, from this attack on her body, Lord. Lord, we pray you to restore her mind, body, and spirit uh, through this uh, trial she's been through. Uh, Lord, we're just grateful for Chuck, and now we're uh, just developing as a church family a friendship with him. Lord, we uh, just thank you for a chosen generation and the unique resource it is to the body of Christ. We want to bear more fruit. We know that uh, Chuck has, by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, uh, something in that, in, in seeds for us to to um, grow in, to bear fruit in. So let our, Lord, we ask for grace for our ears and our hearts to be open to your Spirit, and that you bless Chuck with uh, the abundance of the Spirit as he ministered this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, buddy. We'll start with technology.
have a green light about that. And I was thinking it might not have been 99, it might have been 2000, because I think we did the first rite of passage in two, 2001. We were there together for the very first one. My goodness, that's been a couple of days ago. You were just out of high school, and I was two years ahead of you. Um, well, pretty close. You know, when, when a speaker says something that is borderline, perhaps not true, but it's funny, you should all laugh because when the lightning strikes, we're all going. I mean, it's, it's a single shot. Boom, we're done, and it's over. Okay, but uh, I am. Thank you for the prayer, Pastor. I love this man. I love his family. I love being here with you. He was asking me, I think this is the third year in a row that the July time frame has worked out for us. And, um, you know, when my wife decided she just wasn't ready to travel the distance yet, I still was committed here more than a commitment in terms of being on the calendar, but in my spirit and wanted to be here. So I, I plugged along and drove on down. I'd been in Nebraska with her, and then uh, I came on down first to in the Missouri, Illinois area, and then came on through here yesterday. Had a chance, as Pastor said, to be with Father's Love last night. Another ministry, and I'd been with them before a couple of times at different, and just a, a great ministry for those of you that are involved in that. I just want to commend you, and as a, as a church, the supporting and expanding the kingdom, uh, as opposed to closing in, really church-minded. One of the things that I've loved about Living Waters from day one was the whole kingdom mind, and you saw the number of people that he trusts within the pulpit, but really it's the message that God has given them. And so I'm, I'm blessed. We have some resources. I didn't bring any last year, and uh, Pastor asked me about that. Why not? Uh, but the book Men of Honor, Women of Virtue is there on rites of passage. That's, that's been a kind of a foundational piece for us. But there's some other great resources out there. And I, I've been around speakers before. I've shared this with you before that when you hear them speak, it sounds like that if you don't buy their books and back in the old days, you remember the cassettes and things like that, that their kids won't eat and their wife won't have shoes and so forth. Uh, my kids have eaten great and so are my grandkids eating great. Grandma takes care of that. And my wife, as you know, is from Kentucky, but she has shoes. Um, she says, I used to uh, say how we met was at the officers' club, and she was a go-go dancer there. And people knew in my early days before Christ that uh, I would just say anything, and they would just laugh because they would say, oh, that's just Chuck. And I made that statement after being in ministry, and she got me to the car. And, and we had a come-to-Jesus moment. And she says, you know you're in ministry now. People actually believe you now. She says, you can't say that stuff anymore. So she was down visiting her, te her sister who was a teacher, first time on a military base. And we met, and I, I warned her. I said, I'm not getting married, okay? I'm not taking a wife out of here. I'm gone in five months, so don't fall in love and don't get your heart broke. She said I was a little full of myself. I don't know how she would have come to that conclusion. I was... Uh, about 195 pounds, ridiculously good-looking, Army captain, Green Beret, you know, all of that stuff. And so I don't know where she would get the idea. I was full of myself, but, you know, everyone has their own opinion. I left in five and a half months, true to my word, didn't take a wife. I came back two months later, married her, and took her on a trip. And uh, she's been traveling with me ever since. Our travels, and she and I have been to Canada and to South Korea together, and across Europe, lived in Italy for five years in three different places for the military, and uh, we'll hit 44 years 
and we're fooling everybody. Nobody gave us much of a chance, not because she wasn't worth keeping. There wasn't a single person, including my family, that thought I was smart enough to keep her. Every year we celebrate and we laugh at all of them, and we just praise the Lord for that. But uh, he's the only one that can get credit for something there. But in any event, I just love being here with you. I explain on the books and the resources. There's price marked on those. If that price works for you, throw some money at us. We'll gladly take it. It goes into the ministry. If a lesser price works for you, you don't need that price gun that that insurance company uses. You can just say, hey, here's what I've got. Take whatever. And listen to me carefully as family, and we're all the family of God. But if today it's just inconvenient, you know, for whatever reason, and don't explain it, just you're welcome to take anything we have on the table if it will help you grow in Christ. And that's why we carry them. It's not my stuff anyway. God allows me to transport stuff on his behalf to help people grow and let's get stronger in our faith. So don't, uh, and don't let Satan try to bring shame where God means a blessing. And Satan will certainly do that. Remember that, that process where he'll take what God means as a blessing and he'll try to turn it into shame. Please don't let him do that. We're all in this together as a family. So if there's something that'll help you and it's inconvenient, take whatever it is. But if, you know, you want to pay the price, whatever, and that'll help you grow. And you don't need to do that just to have my kids have food and my wife has shoes. I, um, the message today, I actually preached this in my home church about three weeks ago. It has been on my heart so heavily. It really has in this season. We've all come through whatever or whatever words you want to use for it. And you know what's interesting is that varies state by state how they feel about it. Trust me on this. Um, yeah, I had a guy come to the house for something, and they had the standard thing. You know, if a mask is required, I sent him back a note, and I said, the only reason you need a mask at my house is if you want to conceal your identity so you can rob us. He said that was probably the best answer he'd had, but he didn't need a mask on at my house. But bottom line, <laughs> he just didn't. I mean, you know, say what you want. But bottom line is, is that we've all come through this. But here's one of the startling statistics. People are drifting away from church. And we're not saying just drifting, you know, a couple here, a couple of there. The latest Barna study shows that 28% of the people who were in church, let's just say a year or so ago, right, are no longer coming back. Now, I realize we have wonderful people that are online, and that's very important. You're part of this family. If you are watching online, you're here with us. And I want you to know, on behalf of the pastor, church is open. i got to tell you, it's here. Church is open. We're here. I had a donut this morning. I'm ready. You understand? This church is functioning and going full bore at everything in the community and what God's called us to. So if you're watching online and that's where God has you, please know that we love you and this church loves you. But when you're ready to come back with us here, we're ready to have you right here. We want you to know that. But the thing that bothers me is there's this drift that's taken place. 28% of the people aren't coming back. But here's what happens. One, there was this real regularity we're finding within the studies that shows that they were fairly regular in watching every week online. We got a bunch of old people like me that learned things like Zoom and what that meant and what YouTube was and how to use the TV to get the shows. I mean, it's working. We can do this. But here's what happens. They get comfortable with that, and then they get comfortable even watching that less and less. And the rationalization is, well, I'll watch it. I'll pick it up sometime this week. I don't need to really see it on Sunday. We're going to do something else. Maybe we'll do that. And we see this total drift away from church. And when you talk about 
30% of the church, no longer feels the need to meet together, right? I think we're missing out. I think we are. I, I believe in my heart we need each other. We do better when we're together. And I know this, that when we talk about being together, and look, I haven't prayed, so this is my introduction. I learned that from a pastor. He said, this is just my introduction. We don't really start the message time until I pray, okay? So <laughs> I learned a lot from that guy. That was wonderful, let me tell you. But, but I know this. My immediate biological family, we love being together. And I love what pastors, even they got to go, by the way, change your terms. Grandparents don't babysit. Babysit is something you pay somebody to come and do, and they never do anything compared to what you two do for those. And one of the things we share is we have a granddaughter, Eliana. Okay? Our Eliana just graduated from college this two months ago with her bachelor's in nursing. By the way, I just like to brag, Eliana, the words, it comes from two Hebrew words. The first word is El, which means E-L, which means God. Yana is the Hebrew word for has spoken. So when the Hebrews put those two words, Eliana means God has spoken. And she reminds me of that too, by the way. We have another granddaughter. Her name is Hannah, and that is Stecker for party waiting to happen. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't, but it's a true story. Trust me on that one. But in, but in any event, as we, as we do this, I love being with my family. And, and we do better together. Just that time of being together. Church is family. It's God's family. And folks, we do better together than we do apart. We need to get this. We do better together with a cup of coffee or a Krispy Kreme donut, or I saw the men studying the word out there. We do better together. Now, if all we have is the video, take advantage of it. Use the technology that God's given us, right? And I do this with our family, and I do this in studies with, I've got one son in Nebraska and one there, and we do a book Every week we're in the midst of studying a book together. It's great. I wouldn't miss it, but I love it when we can sit together. Church is the same way. So why am I telling you? Because you're here is because you're the ambassadors of living waters to bring people back into the fellowship. And some are just waiting for an encouraging word from you to say, it's okay. We're here and church is going and we need you. So if you get nothing else this morning, remember this. You're the ambassadors, God's ambassadors, of living water in the local church. And some people may just be waiting for you to say, hey, boy, we have sure missed you. We do better when we're together. Just those encouraging words. And you're the ones that God has here now. You're the ones that I believe God wants to use to say to the others, it's time to get the family back together. Okay? And I say that because in the title of the message is just show up. You know, so often people say, so what do we do in this time frame? Just show up. Let's just start with that. I want to tell you that if you want to reach a chosen generation, it's very simple. We're on Facebook. We're on, you know, all of the various things. You can get us there. Our newsletters, if you go to a chosengeneration.org, you can see what we're doing there and just sign up for the newsletter. And we try to equip the body on the subject of intergenerational culture. And our goal, our mission, is to help churches establish or reestablish a transformational intergenerational culture where we bring everybody together in the process. I say for intergenerational, every generation has a seat at the table. We've never had a children's table at our house, by the way. 
Every generation has a seat at the table. Every generation gets to serve and be served, and every generation has value. And your pastor and I, we've got 20 years as we've walked this path together. I think he gave me far too much credit in this area because he was one of the men that helped shape a lot of this process before the book was even out and how we do things right. And he's carried that message with him as part of the culture as a pastor as well. So when we say that, just show up, here's what I'm saying. Much of the work that God did through Jesus Christ was because Jesus just showed up. He just showed up. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to watch. It's called The Chosen. It's on YouTube and various things. But I want to encourage you. It is absolutely incredible. One of my favorites, and we'll talk about the the scripture from that here, but is the woman at the well. And that scene and that time, and when you, you lead into this, what they did in The Chosen that I loved was, you know, they've got a path that they're going to go. And they're all there, the disciples are formed and so forth. And he goes, well, we're going to go a little bit different direction. And when he announced that they were going to go through Samaria, right, to look at the faces of the disciples, because still culture-bound in many ways. They're walking with the Messiah, but they're still culture-bound. And I want to tell you, I find too many Christians like that. We think we're walking with the Messiah, but we're culture-bound. And we're still living by the rules of the world that we're in. Look, I'm one. I obey the laws. Well, most of them. And and you do too. It's Kentucky. I know how you do it. Let it go. My wife was driving in the second grade. So don't tell me about obeying the rules in Kentucky. Do you understand? When she was in school, her dad drove the school bus. And honestly, she drove the car in at 13 years old because he needed a car to come back to the farm and work. So he would drive the school bus, get it there, and she drove. The sheriffs knew who she were but, and you know, all of that, but it was no big deal because her dad needed the car to go back to work. So really, don't talk to me about rules in Kentucky, okay? We're good. I got you. I'm, I'm fine with that, all right? But my point on this is the fact that we obey the rules and the laws doesn't mean we have to be culture-bound by the culture that we live in that is anti-Christ. We are no longer living in a post-Christianity, but we're past Christianity. It is anti-Christianity in our culture right now, okay? So the bottom line is much of what Jesus did is he set the example. He just showed up for us. I want to give you the big idea for today. It's simply this. God can and will do amazing things in and through his sons and daughters who are willing to just show up. God can, get this, and will do amazing things. And part of it, just get this, all too often we pray and we thank God for what he can do, but we don't really believe he will do it. I mean, think about it. We praise God for what he can do, and he's all-powerful and omnipotent and omnipresent, and we can go through all the things that God can do and so forth. But I get down and I question, do you really believe he will do it? And that's where the difference in our faith needs to be. And he can, and he will do amazing things in and through his sons and daughters, get this, who are willing to just show up. When I look at this here, have you ever considered what God could do in and through in you if you just showed up? Now, I understand you're here in church. So this isn't to say, well, you know, you're not here. You are. You're physically here. You showed up today. But I want to suggest to you and tell you in love, God is asking us to show up in a lot bigger ways than just on Sunday morning. 
This is your filling station where you're filling your tank. Now he expects you to do something with a full tank. Do you understand? He expects you to go out. I love it in church when you see the sign. It says, your mission field begins now, and it's the sign as you leave the parking lot. And that's really what this is about. This time here, yes, you showed up, but I showed up as soon as I got into Kentucky because the gas is a lot cheaper here than it is in Illinois. You don't even want to talk about, okay? But even in Indiana. But I wasn't meant to stay at the filling station. I wasn't meant to live there. That's where I put gas in it because I had something to do, and it's you, and it's to be here. And it's so that process of just showing up. Have you considered what God wants to do? Let's talk about the woman at the well. I love this story. I don't really need these, but what I do is I wear them to look more distinguished because when you look so young, a lot of you people don't really give credibility to the younger people, you know, that they could. So I wear these to look a little more distinguished. How's that working for you? Remember that part I told you about laughing because the lightning's going to take us all when it is? That would be one of those times, okay? But I love it with the woman at the well in John 4. He says, so when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although he himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, let me just tell you, let's stop. Let's get a a little bit of an understanding. When it says here that Jesus, when they learned that the Pharisees had learned that he was making baptizing, even though he wasn't, it says, but he left Judea and departed for Galilee. Now, get this. Jesus was run out of town. You understand? Because Jesus knew it was not his father's appointed time to stand in battle and that it was time for him to leave. Because what was developing back there, it wasn't the time. It wasn't the season of ministry that Jesus was to make his stand. Oh, he made a stand, didn't he, on a cross called Golgotha, which means the skull. But this wasn't the time. He was literally run out of town. And so he left there, and he was on his way to Galilee, right? And so forth. And what happens here then is he had to pass through Samaria. I want to suggest to you that as you're reading God's word here, any time in the New Testament that you read the words Jesus had to, right? I want to tell you, put the words in order to be obedient to the Father right behind it. Because what did Jesus say? He says, I only came to do the will of the Father. I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill the law. He goes through all of this. So whenever you read and you say, Jesus had to, why did he have to? Okay? You know, if I ask any one of you and you said, okay, you have to do this, that means somebody is directing it, doesn't it? Right? If you have to do something, it's because of a commitment you made or somebody's directing it. So anytime you read in the New Testament, it says Jesus had to, right? Just add the words. You can write it in your Bible. It's not against the law to write and make notes in your Bible. Even underline, highlight, scribble, and all of that stuff, right? But in order to be obedient to the Father, Jesus had to, what? Go through this town of Samaria in order to be obedient to the Father, because that's who was leading him. And I love it in The Chosen when he said, <laughs> he says, that's not normal, one of the guys said. He says, get ready, get ready, because the day is coming. A lot of this isn't going to be normal for you, right? And he tells this to the disciples, and he walks them through. So he has to go through this town in order to be obedient to the Father, right? And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So now, I'm going to give you four things here that keep us from showing up and being effective. And Jesus sets the example. So there, so Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey. I want you to say the word weary. I want you to do better than that. Say weary. Okay, weary is different than tired. Weary is inside out. Tired is outside in. God doesn't tell us don't grow tired serving others. He said, no, grow tired, get a good rest. I'll refresh you and go at it again tomorrow. But what he says is don't grow weary. You know, for me personally, growing weary for me is when one good night's sleep doesn't get it. And I wake up and by midway through the next day, I just feel it. I'm being weary. Weary, we use that term for steel. When steel is coming apart, it comes apart from the inside out. That's why they will take and they will x-ray aircraft to make sure the steel structure, because they can't pick it up on the outside of it. They have to look at the inside because it's constant stress brings it apart from the inside out. And they talk about steel getting wearied. When it gets wearied, it's ready to come apart. It is now becoming dangerous. I've talked to guys that... Um, we use the word moral failure. I think God's word is sin. So men who have fallen into some great sin in their life and, and so forth, every single one of them was in a time of weariness. Every single one of them was in a time under stress that they were wearied by what they were going through. But so it says here, so here was Jesus. He was weary. Say weary. That's the one thing that we know about Jesus at this point, okay? The second thing it says, as he was from the journey, he was sitting by the well. It was the sixth hour late. A woman from Samaria came, all right, and he said to her, give me a drink. I love it in the chosen because he actually says please in that. I think that was left out of the original text. But we know then he was thirsty. So he was weary. Say weary. He was thirsty. You're do we not have an agreement here that you get to eat when I'm done? And if we go for a long time, you're going to get a lot hungrier, right? All right, so here's the deal. Let's say it again. Weary, got it, thirsty. And then it goes on to say this, that all of the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. All of the disciples had gone away. He was alone. Say alone. And to get food, he was hungry. Say hungry. Now we're going to say four words. You ready? He was weary. He was thirsty. He was alone. And he was hungry. Now remember this. Loneliness is different than being alone. Okay? You can be in a crowd of people and feel totally alone, even surrounded. But this, this, this feeling of being alone in the midst. So we know this about Jesus. Now, let me ask you a silly question, and I'm good at questions better than answers. In that moment, when you are wearied by the journey that you're on, and believe me, this season that we've come through, this weariness, you feel it more and more in so many people. It's hard, isn't it? Wearied, you're thirsty, you're alone, you're hungry, how many of you would say, I can't wait to sign up on the church website and volunteer for anything? I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Is this a great country or what? How many are ready to sign up when you feel like that? I got one. I wouldn't trust her then. Okay. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But none of us, do we? 
you know, we, we reserve our times to say, okay, God, you can use me now. How many people say, if I can just get this in order, this in order, this in order, this in order, then I'll be ready for God to use me. I just need a good night's sleep. I need a good meal. I need to just, just do some things, and then I'll be ready for God to use me. Do you think we're missing? I love it because Greg Lowry says, when you get to the end of yourself is when you get to the beginning of God. And some of us want to work so hard that we never get to the end of ourselves. And if everything in your life doesn't require you to get to the end of yourself, then why do you need God? Why do you need God? He can do, you can do everything you need to have done, can't you? And so we look at this and we see where Jesus was. And I believe with all of my heart that one of the greatest things that Jesus did, besides dying on the cross and saying his blood covered all of my sins, that was a big deal. You got that? But the other thing was Jesus set the example for us. And people say, well, Chuck, you don't understand. You know, he, he raised the dead. He made the sea and the lame to walk, right? But he did that out of obedience. And most of the time he did it, he was worn out. He was. Look at him. He was weary from the journey. He showed up. Because God the Father told him to, and he says, I can't do this on my strength, it has to be on yours. And I love that because of the example that he says. So when we look at that, we know this, and you can show the words. He was tired and weary. He was thirsty. He was alone. He was hungry. And it explains all of that. But that's when God used him. So now we look at the Scripture, and now he's talking to the woman. And it says this, but Jesus said to her, after he'd asked for a drink, right? And, you know, she had gone through this, and he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become the spring water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. And she was outside of town at the well there. You know, it's interesting. Our, our son, um, much. I'm not a theologian. He really is. Um, God's gifted me in some other areas, but I listen carefully in some of, so much of what he says. But we were reading this together years and years ago, and he said, Dad, do you get it? Do you get it? And then he takes me to Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus said, I am thirsty, and he said, Dad, do you get it? And I said, well, yeah, he was thirsty. You know, they put water, and some believe that they put vinegar in the the sponge because they were just trying to show mercy and make it close the airways. He was just suffering. He said, but do you get it? He was thirsty. I go, yeah, he was thirsty. He goes, no, Dad. And he goes back to this scripture. When Jesus said, I am thirsty, right? Well, Jesus had been the living water, hadn't he? And what did he say? You'll never thirst again if you have this water. And he was that spring water. It was in that moment that he was thirsty in the natural, but he was thirsty in the spiritual. It was that moment. He was the first time out of the presence of his heavenly father. So his thirst was for natural water, but his thirst at the same time was for the spiritual water that could only come from God. And so he says, that she says this, so I'll take that. Now here's one of the things. It gets me here because this is just a lesson. Maybe it's just for me. 
Um, you know, if somebody doesn't tell you the truth, even as a Christian, I know it doesn't happen to any of you fine people, but you ever just want to smack the fire out of them? When they're kind of, and it can come when they're lying to you or they're taking a truth, a partial truth, or they're, you know, do you ever, I know you don't. Okay, well, so this is my weakness. You just want to smack the fire out of them. Like I said, you don't, but I do. And I'm listening to this story, and I'm reading this story over and over again. And again, here's the example of Jesus, and what does he do? Jesus showed up, and with him he brought truth, and he brought love. Truth and love. And the Bible says that there will come a time, and he'll tell us this, the truth and the love. Now, here's the problem with me. Because the word truth comes before the word love, I kind of want to beat them into the truth, and if they're good enough, then I'll love them. I know some of you are sitting here going, really? And Stephen asked this guy to come and preach? Seriously. Look, if you can't be honest here, where can you be honest? Trust me on that one. But don't you just say, are you kidding me? You would actually tell me that? And then there's that moment where the truth needs to come out before I can learn to love you, right? And look at what Jesus does in this. And I love this story because Jesus, here's that that moment. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. And then the woman answered, but I have no husband. Now here's the truth and love. And Jesus said to her, he could have slammed her, couldn't he? He knew, didn't he? It's going to, he says right here, he knew. And he could have just slammed her. Are you kidding me? Why would you lie to me? Right? And he goes, no, no. But here's our Jesus. And, you know, people say there's certain times you would have liked to have been there and seen this. This one, I just, I picture, and I don't know what Jesus looks like. I, I don't. I mean, I know we have these paintings, but I don't know his facial features or that. I know his presence. I know his voice. But I can't tell you, I could tell you what his face looked like. But I have this, this thought that to be there in that moment and see the face of Jesus as he responded to this woman who was kind of manipulating the truth, not telling the whole truth, that's one of those moments that if anyone could have looked in the face of Jesus, they would have seen what true love looked like. Because that was established in his face before he spoke a word. I believe that with all of my heart. And here's what he says to her. You're right in saying I have no husband. You got it. But you've had five husbands. And the one you have right now is not your husband. And he says this to her in such a way. And he says, so what you're saying is true. If that's what you need to say but it opened the door with more love. And, and, and do you get it that there are times that when we show up, maybe we need to show up with more love than demand for the truth to begin with. In a hurting world that we're in right now, do you think that that door is open because it is a hurting world? You don't have to look beyond a lot of times your neighbors and others to see the hurt and the pain in the world that we're in. And I'm just, 
Maybe this army ranger is softening a little. Don't tell my kids or my grandkids. But I think there's more room in the world for love than the beat into submission of truth, that they'll open the door for the truth when they know how much the love is real. And so here's what happens, though. God then meets her through Jesus because why? Jesus showed up when he was weary and he was thirsty and he was all alone and he was hungry and he just showed up. And God met this woman at her point of expectation. Now, I tell you that because I believe everybody out there has a point of expectation for God. And it is possible, really, that God, by you just showing up, can be used to fulfill the expectation that they have for the God that they need. And so here's what he says. The woman said to him, I know. This is not, I was wondering... She says it very emphatically, right after he says this to her, right? She says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, and he is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Christ said to her, I who speak to you am he. That was his statement, I'm the guy. You know, this is the first person that Jesus revealed himself to as the Messiah besides his disciples that were with him. Now, they've all gone for food. This is our first evangelist. Now, I I just encourage you about living waters, and that is I've been places that were reluctant to empower women and their, de- their theology or doctrine or whatever and never build a doctrine or theology on one scripture. It's a big book. Let's use the whole thing. You understand what I'm saying? But I always go back to this story that if you want to talk about what, how Jesus felt about women's gifts, now, I'm not saying they're exactly as men's. God created us to complement and complete, right? But let's understand something. When we say that God has gifted all of us, one of the things I love about the work that God's called me to is that means men and women are gifted by God for a magnificent work in the kingdom, and they just need to be empowered. I want to tell you, not suggest, that I don't call us seniors, and I'm in that group, by the way. I'll be 74 this year, and that's where you'd go, man, he looks pretty good. See, okay, you can just say that afterwards if you want to. And then some of you could go, boy, is his wife lucky. You know, okay, whatever. Whatever works for you, I'm good with, okay? But we're not the seniors or the top of the hill, over the hill, under the hill gang, that one of the things that God's brought us to in our ministry, we're the encore generation. And I want to encourage you with this because an encore is when the performer has had what the world would say their main performance but they're getting called back on stage for an encore. Let me just tell you some elements of an encore. You ready? And that's not in our notes, so pay close attention. You've got to be ready for the encore, and very often they save some of their best stuff for the encore, or God saves some of their best stuff because what? That is going to be the last thing that's remembered about the concert. I can tell you, having been to a few concerts, when they come back on stage, And they rock. The last thing I remember walking out of that venue is, man, that encore. Those were the ones. And so 
I believe that God has gifted and prepared our encore generation for a season such as this. We're ready. But I also believe our young men and our young ladies are gifted, and God wants to use them, not at some time when they arrive, but now. Do you understand? In the process. So this gifting that crosses generational gender and cultural lines, this is God in his family, okay? And so in this process here, he starts off, and the first evangelist is a woman, and he says, I'm the one. Now here's what happens here, okay? She responds back, and she says, many Samaritans... um, believe because, ah, let me let me come back to this thing because I think I left a scripture out, but I actually know this story, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun. But what she says to him is that there is going to come a time, and she's known it all along, that God would send someone who knew everything about her. And that becomes her point of expectation. She's known this all along. Look, she says, there's going to come a time, I've known this, that God will send someone that knows everything, right? And then she launches back, and she goes back into town, and God uses her. And this is the part here in the next scripture. It says, many Samaritans from that town. She leaves her, she leaves her containers, everything. She goes back into town. Now, I will tell you this. The town had to be a long way off. And you know how I know this? Because... When she got to town, she shared her testimony. Well, we know in a church you can't share your testimony until you've been through an eight-week class. So this had to be a, I don't know if she did it by like correspondence on her iPad as she was running back to town, but this idea that, you know, you're really not equipped to share your testimony until you've had this eight-week class, and then we're going to give you your elevator speech and this and that. Let me just tell you that, the one thing in your life that Satan, everything you know about God and everything you know about Jesus, Satan can refute every bit of it except for one thing. And people, that's it, your testimony. And why is that? People say, well, you know, I can tell them that Jesus came from a virgin birth and was born in Bethlehem in a stable. Great. Who was there? Can I get a hand of anybody that was there? Or even when the three wise men came or the shepherds who were on the hill far away. None of us were there. A testimony is a first-hand witness that will stand up in court. You get this? And you say, well, there are other things. Like what? Were you there when the stone was rolled away and you saw the empty tomb? Were you there when Thomas says, I'm not going to believe anything until I feel the scars in that? Did you see that? There's not one thing you can literally testify. We know that by faith, don't we? And I'm not making light of the fact that your faith is built on that, but here's what I would say. There is one thing Satan can't refute. That's your testimony. What has Jesus done in your life? It's the one thing that you got. What has Jesus done in your life? The risen Savior is the one thing. And so when I encourage people, I say, they say, I wouldn't know what to say. I say, just take a minute and tell me what Jesus has done for you. That's all I need to hear. Well, I'm not a theologian. I haven't been to a Bible class. I haven't been to seminary. I said, that's not what Jesus is asking. What has Jesus done in your life? And so she goes on to say many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now, here's what she said. She was met at her point of expectation by the living God, Jesus. She says simply this. He told me all that I ever did. That was it. Now, we could add to this and what was conveyed in there 
I think, was what she knew is that Jesus told her everything she ever did. And she saw more love in that man than she had experienced with five husbands and the man she was living with. That's what she was saying. He told me everything I'd ever did, which was her point of expectation. I know a man that is coming, right? But I think the rest of the story is she saw and felt more love in that man than she felt with five husbands and the man she was living with that wasn't her husband now. And everything else she had tried in the world, seeking love, she saw it and felt it from that man who knew everything about her. He says, and many more believed because of the word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer believed what you have said, for we have heard it for ourselves, for we know this Savior. She went back and she told all of her friends. That's all she did. She left everything and she went back. Now let's just kind of keep our pattern going here. How did this start? Jesus thought he was going one place, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, his Heavenly Father directed him that you will go to this town in Samaria and put him there. And Jesus was weary, and Jesus was thirsty, and Jesus was alone, and Jesus was hungry. At the lowest point you would have imagined if you used all of those words, and he just showed up. That's what Jesus did. And that's what God's calling us to do in the process. She went back, and so so it says here, she, you know, in verse 28, so the woman left her water jar, went into town, said to the people, come and see a man that told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And we know this, many believe because of that. And the scriptures tell us that. I'm kind of skipping some of the slides here just so I can just chat with you. Okay, here's what we know. And I would just skip those. I'll tell our, our team there. Let me just talk to you about showing up, and we'll kind of go to the end of this. I believe now more than ever, God is calling on us, his sons and daughters, to trust him and just show up. I'm going to give you some areas to think about just showing up and make them priorities for you. I'm going to ask them to go to that slide there. I don't even know what number it is. Yeah, I do. I think it's 29. I want to tell you some areas just to show up in. He'll skip through those, and you'll see him flash on this. Just keep going and rolling until we keep. There you go. Keep going. There you go. Here's what I want to suggest to you. If you're married, make your marriage a priority. Um I look at our children, I look at our grandchildren, and the most important thing in their lives for her, for me, dad and papa to start with, is loving their mother and loving their grandmother. It's the number one thing. They see my faith lived out by how I love their mother and their grandmother. And I will just tell you this, make, your, make a marriage priority in your life. Then you expand that. The second thing is show up for your family. Show up for your family. And I mean more than physically showing up. And let me just, let me just talk to our guys here for a second. And I, uh, 
it's pretty easy, and I've fallen into this trap, you know. I, and I, we talked about the military, Army Ranger, long hours, ministry, long hours and things, to kind of come home, and I'm physically present, but spiritually and emotionally, I'm not present. So let me just tell the guys, so much of how things are going to work in our lives will have a lot more to do when we show up spiritually, emotionally, as well as physically. And our family needs us. The next area is show up for your friends. We've already talked about just hurting and the things that are going on right now. I've got a great friend that my age, but missed the top stairs because he didn't need the light at 5.30 in the morning about three months ago. And what's happened in that process is he's had two brain surgeries and now has a helmet that he wears and they're going to put a prosthetic skull in when they are absolutely certain that the infection is gone and he took anti-seizure and all of this. One, one silly thing. I'm just sitting and having a meal and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to elevate myself or Billy in the process. I'm just making examples. Our next door neighbor is struggling with cancer. And the things that are going on all around us. And very often, it's just that gentle spoken word. It's a phone call. It's a text of encouragement. It's a meal dropped off. But in this season, we need to show up for our friends. We really do. And so often I've heard it said that, well, if they needed something, they'd tell us. You know, I thought we were good friends. If you needed something, you'd tell us. I think the fact is, is that we've got to do a better job as a church family and then beyond that. And here's the other thing is show up for your church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three ways within the church. And I've known your pastor, as I've said, a lot of years. And I can kind of echo, I know, his, the desperation in his heart that he has for this church and for all of you. I'm going to give you three things, basically, in terms of showing up with your church. But it's really your spiritual growth and the foundation. One, make weekend services a priority. Make weekend services a priority. And in doing so, you're here. So this isn't to chastise you in any way whatsoever. For our folks online, this is in no way meant to make you feel less for not being here. Barty said, when you're ready to come back, this church is ready to have you back. But I know this. Make the weekend service a priority. And by your example, I think God can use you to bring people back in whether it's an encouraging word, your invitation, just to be with them. But make weekend services a priority. That's one. The second thing is, is make, be a part of a life group. You've got to be a part of something else. Pastor would tell you, and I would echo, that message on Sunday, regardless of how powerful it is, is not enough to get me through the entire week. I have a men's group that I'm, I meet with every Wednesday morning. We've got about 
16 that show up regularly out of a 20 total. It's probably the safest men's group I've been in, but we've really had to work at it. Whether your life group is with couples or it's a men's group or women's, we need more than just saying Sunday's enough and I'll go live my life the rest of the week. We need more. One of the things, as you saw here next Friday, there's an opportunity for growth in hearing from the lady there that the ultra-Orthodox Jews, that's an opportunity. There's a, a, a session after that starting at 7, and you can go through, and then in a few weeks, the other couple. But there are so many opportunities here to take advantage of, but at the same time, you need to be in a group going deeper each week. The third thing that I would tell you is, is you've got to find a place to serve. You have to find your place to serve. And again, I'm going to speak on behalf of your pastor because I know this man's heart. When he's preparing you to serve and feels the church is preparing you, it's not limited to the walls of this church and the programs of this church. Whether it's Father's love, whether it's other ministries, things that he, he brings in to expose or encourages you to be a part of. It's a big world out there. Let's make a difference in the world. And that the desire on his heart and here at Living Waters is find your gifts, grow in your gifts, and go use your gifts to make a difference for the living God. And if that's in this church, in a program here, you're, you're desperately needed. I can tell you that. But if the gift that God has for you is coaching football at a local high school, use your gift to share the gospel through your life. And God will use that and I believe make a difference. So here's my story. I said the woman at the well, you know, she just said, I met a man. Very often people say to me, Chuck, so tell us your testimony. This will take me about 30 minutes, so get ready. I met a man who knows everything about me and loves me anyway. His name is Jesus. That's all I've got. God bless you. let the Holy Spirit just speak to each one of us. If you could go back into worship again, I'm going to say a blessing over you in a minute. I didn't ask Chuck what he was planning on speaking, and he didn't tell me in advance, and I guess that's, I guess I know why. And he really did represent the heart of local church pastors all over the country, probably the world. And, um, and I believe, um, even, even preparing for next Sunday, back into Matthew again, that God is purifying our motives for why we come to church in this season. And I believe we'll see some of the reason see this in scripture next Sunday. But this this is God is purifying his church. That I, I want you to come back, but I want you to come back for fresh reasons, for purified reasons, for new with new motivations. Uh, 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 under Jesus, and so, so I, I think I think the God has got he's he's preparing his bride. He's gonna he is preparing us. He is molding us right now, 
And uh, uh, so I'm excited about the future. But let's, Holy Spirit, have your way in each one of us and, and what this message means, what you dovetailed off on in it or, or confirmed something in our spirit. Just, Lord, we just want this seed to bear fruit. Let's keep seeking Him. Janet, go ahead.